You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together this morning. We turn to the Gospel according to John, chapter 13. We'll begin our reading at verse 31, and we'll conclude it at verse 14 of chapter 14. When he, meaning Judas, was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. 
Pastor DeYoung and I have been asked to preach a series of sermons in these days of Lent, and the first of that series is based here on John chapter 14. Let's turn to that, John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it was way back in my high school years and I was in the throes of puberty, not knowing what to do with my life. When one day along came a very gifted teacher by the name of Walter Pittman, and somehow, in one way or another, he managed to light a spark in my life. He broke through what you might call my self-centered state and got me thinking. He got me thinking and he got me interested in things relating to politics, history, literature, and life. No, not theology. That came later on. The long and the short of it is that I will always be thankful to this man, this little man, for that's what he was, and the fact that the Lord brought him into my life. After being my teacher for two years, he departed and later on became the president of Ryerson University in Toronto. And so why do I mention this to you? Well, because it highlights the fact that many of us would not be where we are today were it not for the instrumental role played by a parent, a teacher, an elder, a co-worker, or perhaps a friend. Think back for a moment and look around you today. Perhaps you can identify a person who has had or even perhaps is still having a special impact on your life. But yet, beloved, in spite of the pivotal role that Walter Pittman played in my early life, it pales in comparison to the role that someone else has played and still plays today. And who am I referring to? Well, I'm referring to none other than my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. No one else can hold a candle to him. No other person has had such a life-changing impact on my life. And then I dare say that I am probably not alone, and hopefully and surely not alone in making that claim. Many of you here this morning will make the same claim together with me. Jesus Christ really and truly is our all and all, our everything. But yet some of you who are visiting or who are listening on live feed may wonder about this. What is it that, about Jesus Christ that makes people grab for the superlatives? What is it that makes him so influential and so 
special? Well, to answer those questions, it's hard to find a more revealing passage about him than the one that we have here in John chapter 14, especially verse 6. Perhaps more than any of the other words that he has spoken, this one highlights his uniqueness as well as his transforming power. So let's look a little closer at it. I preached to you on the theme, the difference Jesus makes. And we shall see that he is the way, that first of all, secondly, he's the only way, and finally, he's the only way home. Well, beloved, I began today's scripture reading at John 13, verse 31, because there we come face to face with a really important and stunning transition. Just before that happens, Jesus and his disciples are eating the Last Supper together. You can read that. And towards the end of it, you'll notice something is going on between Judas Iscariot and Jesus. However, None of the other disciples really seem to clue in as to exactly what is happening. But then immediately thereafter, Jesus starts talking about going away, going away alone. Now that causes a stir among his disciples and, and even a degree of panic. Peter immediately wants to know where Jesus is going. And Jesus tells him and assures him that this separation is going to be temporary, but that doesn't satisfy Peter. He wants to keep on doggedly tagging along. He doesn't want to let Jesus out of his sight. And the same, by the way, goes for the rest of the disciples. None of them like what they're hearing from Jesus just now. And no wonder. You need to understand, of course, that these men have left everything behind. Family, friends, jobs, security, hometown. They had said goodbye to it all. They had totally cast in their lot with Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They burned their bridges behind them. Yes, and now he's talking about going away, about leaving us behind. The very thought is too much to digest. It creates instant heartburn and fear. So notice more words are needed. In the beginning of chapter 14, Jesus gives them a peek at where he is going. He tells them about his father's house and about its many rooms and about going there in order to prepare a place for them. He even chides them a little and reminds them that they know the way to this place. And again, you can see they're taken aback. And this time, Thomas speaks up for all of them. And he blurts out in desperation, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how in the world can we know the way? And to this, Jesus replies, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
Now, I think here we need to stop for a moment and we need to digest these words. What did he just say? He said, I am the way. He said, I am the life. He said, I am the truth. Did we hear that right? Is that really what he said? Yes, it is. Their ears, as well as our ears and our eyes too, in reading the text, are not deceiving us. This is what he said. I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, who else has said that? Who else in history that you have heard about has said these sort of claims, these sort of things about himself? Do you know anyone else who has ever spoken so, excuse the word, egocentrically? I this, I that. Can you think of some people? Can you come up with a name? Is there even one name that comes to mind? There isn't, is there? No one else, at least as far as I know, has made, ever made, these sort of extravagant claims about himself. No one else has ever spoken so highly, so dogmatically, so comprehensively, and some might want to add so conceitedly about himself. Throughout history, we have heard people present themselves as viable options or as legitimate alternatives, but never like this. Oh, and just in case you assume that this is the Langley Canadian Reformed Church speaking or this is one of our confessions saying the Heidelberg Catechism speaking, I would remind you this is not us. This is not one of our catechisms or confessions. No, these are the direct verbatim words of Jesus Christ himself. And besides that, if the truth be told, we would probably all admit that we... Even as believers and followers of Jesus Christ are somewhat taken aback by his language here. You know, we would have spoken in a more nuanced way, in a more humble manner. There's something about this language here that makes us sit up, take notice, and squirm a bit in our pews. It's got a real dogmatic ring to it. Doesn't it? And yet, I dare say it's also refreshing. Right now, as you all know, there is a federal election campaign going on again in Canada. And one of these, one of the things that these campaigns are invariably noted for is baffle gab. You may know baffled gab is vague, unclear, imprecise, foggy speech. 
But that's not the way of Jesus. That's not how he speaks. He speaks clearly. He speaks emphatically. He speaks unambiguously. First, he says to his disciples and to us, I am the way. It's as if he's looking into all of our eyes and saying, I am your accessibility. People are always asking, how can we find God? How can we gain access to God? How can we know Him? Well, I am here to answer those questions and to tell you that I am the way. If you want to know the way to God, my Father, then you need to go through me. I am the way. And thereafter, Jesus adds, I am the truth. And that's his way of saying, there's another problem out there. And it's all about reliability. How can we know whether or not someone is giving us the straight, unvarnished goods? How do we know he's not deceiving us, hoodwinking us, conning us? Again, you people need to know, Jesus says, that I only speak the truth. I didn't come to earth to sell you a bill of goods. I haven't come to manipulate you. I haven't come to play with your emotions. I've come to tell you the way it really is. You can rely on me and on my words and my teaching. Because I am the truth. And finally notice too, Jesus says, I am the life. When he says this, Jesus is referring to that third big problem out there. There's a problem with God. There's a problem with truth. But you know, there's also a problem with death. You see, sooner or later, all of you will come to realize that life is filled With death. Everything and everyone dies. No one lasts and lasts and lasts. Here today, gone tomorrow. That's our motto. But now I have come to bring you life. Real life. Glorious life. Eternal life. I am the one who can take you through death and give you life. Oh, and how often does the Lord Jesus not return also to that particular theme? In John 6, he says about his people, I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. In John 10, he says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And in John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Life, life. That's the promise of Jesus. 
And so, beloved, taken together, these words of our Savior are most remarkable. But they're also challenging. For what are we going to do with them? What are all of us going to do with these words? Some people, I realize, may be inclined to dismiss these words as the ravings of a lunatic. Mentally deranged people say all kinds of strange things, you know. Yes, they do. But read the Gospels and ask yourself, has anyone ever spoken saner, wiser, better words than Jesus? And I realize as well that others may be inclined to say that these are the words of a liar, a cheat, a charlatan, a pretender. But again, my friends, weigh the evidence. Read the Gospels. Not what people say about the Gospels. Read the Gospels themselves. See how Jesus lives and speaks and relates and works and deals with others. Then I ask you, is there even a hint of falsehood there? Is there anything that smacks of lying and corruption and deception? Really, in the end, there's only one thing that one can do with these words, and that is hear them and believe them. Jesus is who he claims to be. He really is the way, the truth, and the life. He is our accessibility, our reliability. And ultimately our victory. He's truly the all-sufficient Lord and Savior. Yes, and we need to acknowledge that by running to Him, grabbing hold of Him, and living out of Him every day. We need him to be the center of our life. Well, beloved, we need him for this, but also for another reason. Look at the next part of verse 6. After stating, I am the way and the truth and the life, he adds these words, No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, here you thought the first set of words took the cake. But now this. I dare say these last words are even perhaps more difficult to swallow than his first words. And why are these words, why are they so difficult? Well, because they are, you know, so exclusive. No one comes to the Father except Through me? You know, Jesus tests our tolerance when he tells us I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he makes things even more difficult when he tells us that he is the only one. 
There is no other way to God the Father than through Him. Than through believing in Him. That's not exactly a popular message in these days when people are stumbling all over themselves to be properly inclusive. And indeed, there are all kinds of people, even who profess to be Christ followers, but who, when they come to these particular words in the Gospel of John, are reaching for the whiteout. But that will not do. One cannot read the Gospels in any other way but to admit that Jesus Christ makes himself the exclusive way to God the Father. And that's not my conclusion. That's not the conclusion of the elders of this church. That's not our collective prejudice speaking. That's what Jesus Christ himself declares. So what should we do with this? Again, we need to hear it and we need to apply it. We should not be afraid to approach our Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist neighbors and lay before them this claim also of Jesus Christ. And we should do that not out of a position of arrogance or haughtiness, simply out of one of humble obedience. Lay the gospel on the hearts of your neighbors and pray for them. And the same goes for all do-it-yourselfers. I dare say our world today is filled not only with people who follow and listen to the claims of other religions, but also with the assertions of those who think that they can save themselves. In other words, there are many people out there who claim they don't need Jesus because they can make their own way to God. One day they're going to stand before God. And when God asks them about their life, then they're going to brag. They're going to brag and they're going to boast about their deeds, about their niceness, about their respectability. And of course, God is going to give them the big green light. They're so sure of themselves. But are foolish. These people are building their lives and their future on sand. Jesus says elsewhere. And what happens to sand builders? The rains come down, the streams rise, the winds blow, and they beat against the house, and it falls with a great crash. What are we building our lives upon? Could it be sand? False notions, preconceived arrogant notions. If you choose for sand, get ready for the crash. But on the other hand, if you choose for Christ and for the bedrock of the gospel, 
Then Jesus says, you will stand and you will survive when the wind blows and the rain comes. You will stand. You will survive. And that brings us in turn to the last element in our text, and that is what we might want to call context. Because after hearing these words of the Lord Jesus, you might be asking yourself, why does he bother? Why does he speak so boldly and so exclusively? Why not more politically correct? Well, it has everything to do with that house described in John 14, verse 2. Why is Jesus going away? Why does he now begin to walk in earnest down the road of suffering, arrest, and trial, torture, crucifixion, and death? Why not skip all the nasty stuff? Why not go straight home? Now, it's because he has a task to do and a people to save. In the beginning of time, God the Father and the Son agreed that Jesus would come in the fullness of time. They agreed that he would come to redeem and to save his people. That he would do that through suffering and death. By paying for their sins. Yes, he would do all of that. And he would do more. For his calling is not just to save God's people, but it is also ultimately to bring God's people home. To his disciples and to his followers today, Jesus declares, in my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I will come back. And take you to be with me. That you also may be where I am. And beloved, that's now what Jesus is doing today. He's preparing a place for his people. He's getting everything ready for the greatest family reunion of all time. He is home. And he is making this home ready for us as well. So, wrap it all together. What do you have? What do you have in the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the promises of Jesus, the power of Jesus? You and I have someone who makes all the difference in the world today and in the world tomorrow. Truly, we have someone to believe in and to build our lives upon. He really, really does make all the difference in the world. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank and we praise you for what you have revealed about yourself and especially about your Son, Jesus Christ, in the Gospels.
We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a Savior who is the way, the truth, and the life for all of us who believe in him. May that be many. And may their numbers grow every day. May all of us here and all of us listening realize that Jesus Christ really is the most important person in our life. He makes the greatest difference for today and for tomorrow. And of course, today we don't see that except through the eyes of faith. But one day, we shall surely see it through eyes filled with glory. Father, we thank you for sending him. And Jesus, we thank you for coming. And the Holy Spirit, we thank you for applying the words and the works of Jesus to the hearts and lives of your people too. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.